Well, once again, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We are uh, over halfway through this great chapter that is centered on this great theme of Christian assurance. And so over and over, we've been focusing on this theme. But more specifically, uh, believers have this great assurance as we've been looking at this chapter because specifically at the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers. In fact, no other chapter in the Bible has uh, as much to say about what the Spirit does for the believer as this chapter, Romans chapter 8. And already by just a way of review, I want you to go to the beginning of Romans chapter 8, and we want to see what kind of work, what does Spirit uh, for us those who believe. Well, verse two says that the Holy Spirit sets us free from the law of sin and of death. If you flip to verse six, the Holy Spirit gives us life and peace, for instance. In verse 11, the Holy Spirit raises us from the dead. That is a a promise that is yet to come. We have this assurance that it is the Holy Spirit who raised Christ will also raise us from the dead. But in verse 13, the Holy Spirit helps us to put today the deeds of the body. Puts to death the deeds of the body. And then in verse 14, the Holy Spirit leads us. For all who are led by the Holy Spirit, these are sons of God. So he leads us, us, his children. A couple of weeks ago in verses 15 and 16, we study that the Holy Spirit testifies to us that we are children of God. We are his children. We belong to him. We have been adopted into his family. And last week in verse 23, the Holy Spirit bears the fruits of our salvation and guarantees our final redemption. In other words, there's something that he already did for us. He regenerated us. He's working in us. He's now putting to death these deeds of the body today. And he promises that one day, when that day comes, he will finish this work of redemption. Where we'll be fully and finally adopted will be revealed as the sons of God. Now, as we come to these next few verses, or two verses to be specific, in verse 26, um, the focus here is on the help of the Holy Spirit. In fact, his prayer or intercession of the Spirit for the believers. If you look at this section, Paul has been arguing that the verse 18 sufferings of this present time are not worth, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. What is this glory? And we've alluded to the fact that this glory here is found in verse 29. It is that we will be conformed to the image of Christ. There is a day that is coming where we will be like Christ And this glory is so immense that all creation is waiting for it. Verses 19 through 22. They're groaning for it. Not only that, we ourselves, believers, the children of God, as we looked at last week, we are groaning for it. But while our destiny is sure that we're going to get what God promises, man, we're often confused right here in this present time of suffering. In the middle of our suffering, we are often confused about how we pray for it, how we pray for it. 
So here in these verses, then we are taught that the Holy Spirit within us, he takes these weak prayers that we offer and he translates them into requests that always align with God's will. And because they always align with God's will, then every request that the Spirit utters for us, they are always answered. That's the encouragement. Every prayer that the Spirit prays for our behalf gets answered always answered and always heard. Came across this, I think a fictional story as, as I was studying that I think kind of illustrates this point very well. Um, a father was walking past his daughter's room one evening and noticed that she was on her knees praying. And so he stopped by the door and as he listened to the prayer, he heard her pray A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H I J K L M N O P Q R S T U V W X Y Z. And she kept repeating it several times. And so the father was excited that the daughter was praying, but stopped and, and asked her, why was she praying the alphabet in her prayer? And she answered, you know, when I don't know what to pray about, I just say the alphabet, and he puts the words together. And I think, um, believe it or not, some of our prayers are like that. We come before the Lord, and, and we pray, but oftentimes, we're not sure what to ask. Kind of sounds like ABC. And it is the Spirit who is in us, who goes to bad before the Father, and really praise what we should be praying. I want us to read this passage here in, in Romans 26, or 826. He says, in the same way, Paul writes, the spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. According to the will of God. Here's the comforting truth that is revealed for us that is taught here in this passage. Believer, Christian, the spirit turns your weak prayers into powerful petitions that are always answered because they are perfectly aligned with God's will. The spirit prays for you and his prayers are always answered because he knows what to pray for when we don't. So I want us to look at three things here that are revealed in verses 26 and 27. First, I want us to look at the admission, then the awareness and assurance. Admission, awareness, and assurance. And the admission is very simple. It is found here in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. Here's the admission. We need help. We need help. The first thing I want you to see in verse 26 is this introductory phrase, in the same way. And this verse here is pointing us back to this last section, beginning with verse 18 through 25. And if you recall in verses 19 through 22, Paul is talking about the groaning of creation. The whole creation 
is not looking forward to its own restoration. That's not what the passage says. The whole creation is looking forward to our restoration, our glorification. Yes, creation will be then restored as a result of that, but that's what it's groaning and looking forward to. And then we saw last week in verses 23 through 25 that we ourselves, all of God's children, we groan, we wait for the same. We wait for the redemption of our body. And now he says in the same way, the Holy Spirit also groans. Groaning, he says in verse 26. The second thing I want you to see is Paul's admission here that we need help. We need help. Notice he does not say The spirit also helps your weakness for you do not know how to pray as you should. No, instead he says, the spirit also helps our weakness for we do not know how to pray. Think about this. The great apostle Paul, he includes himself in this, in this group of people who are in desperate need of help. We need help. Who are the we in this passage? We. Well, the we refers to the believers in Christ. But more specifically, I want you to look at the text and find out the description of we. Right? In verse 19, we is described as the children of God. Or sons of God in verse 19. In verse 21, the children of God. In verse 23, those who are adopted as sons. Verse 24, the we are those who are saved. In verse 25, those who have hope for what we do not see. Those who are saints, verse 27, we'll look at that in just a few minutes. In verse 28, the we are those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. In verses 29 through 30, those who are foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. And those enjoy God's favor, verse 21. If God, or verse 31, if God is for you, who can be against you? These are the we. We, obviously, to all the believers in Christ. And all the believers in Christ, friends, are in desperate need of help. Every single one. It doesn't matter how mature or immature you are. You need help. Why do you need help? Well, he is quick to add, we need help because of our weakness. We are weak. Every believer. Every believer is weak. Paul is weak. When we think about Paul's prayers, some of which are found in like Colossians chapter one, for instance, or you look at his prayers in Ephesians chapter one or chapter three, right, of Ephesians, this great powerful prayer, you're like, you don't know how to pray? I'm pretty sure that that sounds good to me. I wish I could compose a prayer like that. What do you mean that you need help to pray this way? But he includes himself in this group. He admits that I am weak. What is this weakness? It's not necessarily a reference to sin, like we are sinners. That's what he says in the previous section here, verses 22 through 25, right? We're waiting for this final liberation, freedom from our bodies because we are tainted with sin. But, but this weakness here, it means helplessness, frailty, 
In some cases, it's translated as disability. Often it's translated as just physical sickness. But specifically here in this text, if we look at it, right, the weakness Paul has in mind in verse 26 is our mental weakness or lack of understanding. We do not know, he says. We are weak. And then he describes the nature of our weakness by saying for, look at verse 26, for. Why are we weak? Well, because we do not know how to pray. This weakness is demonstrated in the fact that we often don't know what to pray for. What is this? What is this weakness? Think about it this way. It is not the sort of weakness, right? We're dealing with suffering here in this passage. And these sufferings, they are reserved for this present time before the Lord comes and and rescues us from this present age. So we're dealing with suffering. But this weakness is not the sort of weakness that says, man, what I am going through right now, it is so painful. It is so intense that I don't think that I can take another step. I am so weak that I can't keep going. That's not the weakness that he's talking about. Or when you say... I, I don't know. I mean, I'm dealing with such great pain. I don't even know if I can continue to believe in God's goodness. That's not what he's dealing with. What he describes here is the kind of weakness when you are in a situation or in the middle, midst of great suffering and you're on your knees praying, but you don't even know what to say. You don't know what to pray for. You don't know what to ask You you can't understand God's will in this particular situation. Why is he letting you go through this? Like, why is he sending you cancer, for instance? Or why did he lock you up in prison like Paul? Right, you're you're in such pain and agony and you can't make sense of it all. You, you, You only see a little piece of the puzzle, but you can't see the whole picture. Therefore, you don't understand You don't know how to pray as you should, he says. You see this this grand tree before you, but because you're not the Lord, you can't see the the entire forest to see how this thing fits in and, and the purposes that it will accomplish in your life. You have limited perspective. And because of that, you, you don't know why God is bringing this or that into your life why he's sending you this trial or putting you in this situation. Is this your personal experience? Oftentimes, I think this totally describes us. I mean, how many times have you approached the Lord in a situation where you said, Lord, you know everything, but I don't know exactly what to pray for. I'm not sure what you're trying to accomplish through this or that. I mean, sometimes people come up to us, right, and they ask to pray for this, or or they describe a situation, and you're like, I will pray for you, and then and then when you pray for them, you're you're not sure. Are you praying for the removal of this, you know, trial? Are you praying for deliverance or are you praying for glory? That's what we face in our daily struggle? Or how many times do we just completely fail to pray at all? We don't pray. We're just so exhausted because of our trials or difficulties and and they just completely suck the life out of us. 
we, we kind of feel disabled, helpless. Not just the weak Christians, you know, those who were converted three hours ago, but those who were walking with the Lord for 33 years, they often feel the same thing. Can you admit that you often fail to pray? Yes, I can. We can all admit. And when we, when we do pray, you often find it very difficult to pray. But here's the thing. We're in great company. We're in great company. This passage here is not meant to, to sort of cause us to doubt. It is here to encourage us and to give us great hope. This entire section is a word of hope and comfort for the weak. For the weak. It, it, Paul is not teaching us how we become strong. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you are weak and you will remain weak. You are weak and you will remain weak. And the hope then is on the helper. The hope is we have somebody. As soon as you admit that you are weak and you are in need of help, Paul wants these Roman Christians and and us by extension to be aware of a greater reality that we are not left to ourselves to make it through this present time of suffering, friends. We have great help. We have great help. And so we come to our second point is this awareness. After the admission that we need help, we need to realize and we need to be aware that we have help. We have help in the same way the Spirit also helps. I want you to look at the beginning again of verse 26. We already see how it it sort of uh, connects in the same way, right? Connects to this entire section beginning with verse 18. But there seems to be another link specifically to verse 25, to verse 25, to our hope. Look at verse 25. And if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. I mean, how do we endure this present suffering? Last week, we saw that it is by hope. It is by hope, patiently looking forward to our final redemption, to the time when we will be fully conformed to the image of Christ, verse 29. But not only, friends, do we endure by hope, we also endure by the help of the Spirit in the same way. While we wait and hope, we have the help. Waiting and hope, and now we have the Spirit's help. Look at this word, help. The Spirit also helps our weakness. It is found twice only in the New Testament, the way it's written here. Uh, It is found here, and it is found in Luke chapter 10, verse 40. In Luke chapter 10, verse 40. It's a compound verb, which means it's made up of two or three. This specific word is made up of three words together, put together. And English word, we have what? Five letters? Helps? Right? In the Greek, it's 17 letters. So it's a rather lengthy word because it's made up of three words and they all communicate something. It has this main root word, which means to take something or hold something, to receive something. And then two prefixes that are added to this word. One means with, and the other means 
in place of. And so when you put it all together, it means that while we are weak, while we carrying this this load, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and he carries this burden along with us. He helps. He literally kind of yokes together with us under this burden and he helps us to carry this weight along. How often? All the time. Continually. He helps. It doesn't say he helped or he will help or occasionally he helps. No, because we are continually weak, the spirit is continually helping us in our weakness. I reference Luke chapter uh, 10, verse 40. It is found in, the, in this conversation between Martha and Jesus. And remember, Mary there is with Jesus listening to him, and Martha is just you know, going around trying to prepare a meal. And, and, and she tells, she complains to Jesus, and she tells her, tell her to help me. Tell Mary to help me. She wanted Mary to help kind of carry this burden of preparing and serving the meal. And in the same way, Paul says, when we are unable to handle things and see things from God's perspective, the way God sees them, because of our weakness, then the Spirit comes along and he helps. You know, maybe a couple other illustrations would, would help. It's like, you can picture a parent, right? A parent who, who is holding the hand of a little baby who, who can't walk. Right? That, that parent enables the baby to do something that, that he or she can't do on his own. Or, or maybe this illustration will, will also help. Think of, a, you know, those moving walkways at the airports that you encounter when you're in a terminal and they're like escalators, but... They, they transport you on a horizontal plane, and so you're walking, all of a sudden you see this, this belt, it's like a conveyor belt, right? You get on it and you keep walking, but you're moving twice as fast. And you're looking at the people who chose not to use it, and you're like, you're going. You're walking, you're doing the walking, but it is sort of like the spirit who is carrying you along when you don't understand when you don't know, he propels you forward. As you pray and as you cry out in your weakness, the Holy Spirit takes your burdens and he pulls you forward and he presents what you need to be asking and what you need to be praying before the Lord. He helps you, look at again, back at the verse, how does he help us? He helps us by interceding for us. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us. He helps by presenting you before the Father. To intercede means to plead someone's case on behalf of another before some superior. So, so you, the, this intercessor, right, he stands in the gap and he pleads for someone who is weak, who cannot plead their own case. And so that's what the Spirit does. And, and he does this continually again. He intercedes always on regular basis. There is not a day, friend, if you're a believer, there is not a day, there is not a moment when the Spirit doesn't plead for you before the Father regularly. 
And because the spirit is in you, according to verse nine and verse 11 that we already studied, he feels strongly for you. He understands you. He knows what you're going through and what you need at every moment. Even as you yourself, you struggle to make sense of your needs, real, actual needs. He knows and he intercedes. And we have this intercessor who pleads for us. The Holy Spirit intercedes. But also I want you to know here, and we're going to jump a little forward, that we not only have one intercessor, we have two intercessors. Not only is the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf before the Father, but the Son himself, Jesus Christ, he intercedes for us before the Father. Verse 34, look with me. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus or Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also, who also intercedes for us. Brothers and sisters, we have two divine attorneys before the Father, and these two attorneys have never lost the case, ever. They know how to go to bat before the Father for his children. Like what one commentator said, Christ's intercession takes place outside of us, the Holy Spirit's within us, that is in our very hearts. Christ prays that the merits of his redemptive work may be fully applied to those who trust in him. The Holy Spirit prays that the deeply hidden needs of our hearts, needs which we ourselves sometimes do not even recognize, may be met. That's why, beloved, as the end of this chapter indicates, those who place their faith in Christ can never be lost. They can never be separated from the love of Christ. Those who belong to Christ are indwelled by the Spirit and they can never fall away because you have two strong, powerful, divine attorneys who intercede for you every moment of your life. So that is why he can write and he says, what can then separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. You think suffering will separate you? Nothing will separate you. Even as you struggle to make sense of it, the Holy Spirit knows how to pray for you. How does he intercede for us? He says, with groanings too deep for words. With groanings too deep for words. Now, what does that mean? And as you expect, right? There are differing views, as seems to be the case with just about every other verse in, in Romans 8. Some argue, right, that it is impossible for God to groan. So they attribute these groanings to the believer. As believers groan, then the Holy Spirit prays for them. And so he sort of translates these groanings into requests that are known to the Father. Others argue that the grammar of this verse here implies that this groaning is in fact of the Holy Spirit. It belongs to the Spirit. And that's what we've been saying over the past few weeks, right? There are three groanings here. In, in verses 19 through 22, there's the groaning of creation. In verses 23 through 25, there's our groaning, groaning of the children of God. And now we ha come to the Holy Spirit's groaning in verse 26. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep 
It's, it's emphatic here that the Holy Spirit himself intercedes with groanings. And these groanings are, are probably used metaphorically to describe the nature of his intercession. Too deep for words. It literally means wordless or speechless. So maybe it's kind of an unfortunate translation here, too deep for words, that words are not even uttered. It's wordless. It's, it's speechless groaning. The Spirit's prayers for us before the Father are unspoken. Right? They're not expressed in words. We don't hear the Spirit praying alongside of us and like, that's right. Yeah, what he said. We don't have that ability. And the reason why the spirit does not even have to use the words is because the father knows the mind of the spirit in verse 27. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the spirit is. The father reads the mind of the spirit and and the spirit brings his pleas before the father. We are not aware of these pleadings. We can't hear them. We only know that they are true because scripture tells us that this is true and so we believe it and we take it by faith. That's what the spirit does. Often this verse specifically is um, used by some who argue for the speaking in tongues. Um, And and we're not gonna say much about this, but uh, they say that this groaning here is is a private or, or a prayer language here that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And, and it kind of expresses itself in this unintelligible language. So, so you just utter gibberish, but the Spirit knows, and you are not even aware of what you're saying, or the person sitting next to you is not aware of what you're saying. They're too deep for words. They use this, this um, verse here. But I think two things real quickly. I'll say that the subject of tongues, right, is is not even in this picture. Like it's not even in this context. You completely have to import that in here and and use this passage that does not argue for this at all to argue your case, to argue your point, to support this interpretation. And the second thing is that if speaking in tongues, this unintelligible language is a valid gift and, and manifestation of the spirit, then gifts are not given to all people. In general, not just that gift, any gift. They're not giving universally all gifts to all people. However, this help here that is offered by the Spirit is given to all of us. It is given to every child of God. It is given to every saint. It is given to everyone who is adopted into the family of God. So if that was true, it would have been universal for all believers. So, friend, Christian, Are you aware that you have this divine help every moment? As you try to make sense of your situation, right? Coming to the Lord in in prayer, the spirit turns your weak prayers into powerful petitions that are only known to God. The spirit is groaning for you as he carries your burdens, as he takes them before the father's throne. He prays for you and he knows what to pray for. When we don't, when, when, when in many cases, suffering squeezes us so that we can't even pray. 
Friends, be aware. Be aware that the Spirit knows what to ask and to plead on your behalf. We have this great help. Why? Because the Spirit intercedes for us. We began with this admission that we need help, but Paul wants us to be aware that we have help in the person of the Holy Spirit. And finally, in verse 27, I want us to see that that we are given this assurance, assurance that our help is guaranteed, that what the Spirit is asking for, it will always be answered and it will always be accomplished. So number three, assurance, our help is guaranteed. I want you to see the contrast here between verse 26 and 27 first. In verse 26, Paul says, we do not know how to pray as we should. And the question is, how should we be praying? Well, we should be praying according to the will of God, verse 27, right? Because prayer or uh, the Spirit's prayers are answered because he always prays according to the will of God. We don't. We don't know. The problem here is that we, we don't discern, right? We can't discern God's sovereign will because of our weakness. We just simply can't peek into his divine plan. We can't uncover his sovereign will for our lives and then pray accordingly. Like, should I pray for this cancer to go away or should I just pray that I would go home to be with the Lord? Remember in Philippians chapter one, for instance, Paul was conflicted for a moment. He was saying, I don't know, should, should I pray to be delivered from this prison or, or to be home with the Lord? I have my preference, but I don't know how the Lord's going to decide. Perhaps he will free me and I will go and I will be of service to you. We can't see the big picture. We can't fully understand God's will. Here's an illustration for you. Biblical illustration in Luke chapter 22. Remember this passage where Jesus has a conversation with Peter and he says this to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail or you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I don't know if you were ever puzzled by this passage, but think about this. If you were aware of Satan's intent or of Satan's demand for Peter, would you have prayed that God would help people Peter from withhold him from sinning. That's what I would have prayed. That's my prayer, right? All the time. Prevent this person from sinning. But Jesus, who knows the father's perfect will, he did not pray that Peter would not sin. Notice he says, I prayed for you, not that you would not sin. That's not what he's prayed, but he is praying for his faith that as he goes through this trial and fails, that his faith would not fail in the midst of sins, and then after he recovers, that he would be greatly used among his brethren. That's what Jesus is praying for. And do you think that if Jesus had prayed that Peter would not sin, that he would sin? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, but that wasn't God's sovereign will for him at that particular moment. It's, it's mind-boggling to think about this, but that's what we presented here. And since our weakness is such that we can't understand God's sovereign will, our prayers are often misaligned 
with God. But friends, here's the comfort and here's our assurance. The Holy Spirit knows and the Holy Spirit understands because the Holy Spirit can see the entire picture. He intercedes, verse 27, according to the will of God. The Spirit asks on our behalf what we actually need in time of need, not what we think we need in our weakness. And because he always prays according to the will of God, then his prayers are always heard and they are always guaranteed to be answered. It says the one who searches hearts, right? It describes the Father, God the Father who is omniscient from whom nothing can be hidden, right? In, in 1 Samuel, he says, you look at man's outside appearance, but I look at the heart of man. I look at the heart. So God knows the will of the spirit. God the Father knows the will of the spirit. And the, or the spirit knows the will of God, and the Father knows the mind of the spirit. Because think about this, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit they are one true God. There's no, no clash is possible between them. They exist in perfect harmony with one another. And since that is true, then when one prays, the other answers according to that prayer. Friends, we can be assured our help is guaranteed even when we don't understand now. We have this advocate before the Father, dual dual intercessors to the Spirit and the Father who go to bat for us, who continually pray for us until we get to glory. Do you see how these verses, they give you great hope? Great hope and great encouragement. I want you to turn with me as we close to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Maybe you thought about this passage as we studied Romans 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to close with an illustration from Paul's life. Paul, the very Paul who authored Romans chapter 8. We find here in this passage and really throughout the New Testament through the letters that he wrote that he received direct revelation from God. And as one who received direct revelation from God, he also received what he refers to as the thorn a thorn in the flesh in verse seven. He says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. And you have books, right? Written on speculations on, on what this thorn is. And honestly, we have no idea. We have no idea what this thorn is. We only know that this thorn was ongoing because he prayed three times for it. It affected him physically. It was in the flesh. And it harassed him. It was some kind of demonic power almost. That's what he says. As one sent from a messenger, an angel of Satan. And it was very severe. He calls it a thorn. A thorn, something that's very uncomfortable like a splinter. You just want to get it out. You just can't wait to go home and to get it out because it irritates you so bad. And what is Paul's response to this trial? Well, he prays. He prays. 
I hope you don't walk away from this, you know, study that I don't need to pray. The Holy Spirit doesn't pray instead of us. The fact that the Holy Spirit prays for us encourages us to run to the Lord and to pray with understanding that we don't often see the full picture, but we must pray and we must plead and we must ask and to be comforted that Father knows and the Spirit knows and our prayers will be answered. And so Paul prays. He goes before the Lord and he pleads and he says, take this thorn away from me. Take this thorn away from me. But he doesn't get an answer. And so he prays again, Lord, please take this away from me. But the Lord is silent again. And so he prays the third time. And it's almost like you can hear Paul pleading, this this thing really hurts. You know it hurts. Whatever it is, it hurts. And maybe you're thinking, man, I can be used so much more if you just remove this. I can be more effective in ministry for you, Lord. I can do more. Don't you want me to do more? And again, he doesn't get the answer that he's looking for because he didn't know what to pray for as he should. But the spirit himself was interceding for Paul with groanings too deep for words. If we apply that passage to this particular scenario, did Paul have his prayer answered? He got so much more than what he could have imagined in this case. God answered the prayer of the spirit who fully knows the will of God. And as it were, think about the Lord's response here. It's almost like the Lord is saying, Paul, I understand why you think you need this thorn to be removed. It hurts and I know it hurts. But what you need to understand this moment is is not for this thorn to be gone, but for you to know the grace of God, for you to experience the power of Christ, for you to understand the sweetness of depending on Christ. You need to learn that power is found in Christ, even in your weakness and suffering. And so that's what he says here. My grace, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Church, this is exactly what the Spirit does for you when you don't understand what to pray for. He translates these weak prayers into powerful petitions, and he gives you what you have asked for had you known fully the will of God. And what's he praying for? Think about this. What is spirit interceding for? What's he, what's he asking before the Father? What's he praying for? What is God's will for us? If he prays according to the will of God, what is God's will for us? Flip back to Romans chapter 8. I want you to see this. What is God's will for us? Well, Paul goes on to say that God is working, verse 28, all things 
He's causing all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. That is what the spirit was accomplishing in Paul's life. And if you're a believer in Christ, that is what the spirit is accomplishing in your life right now. He's using all of these circumstances Whatever situation you find yourself in, and he prays for his purposes of you becoming like Jesus to be fulfilled. That's what the spirit is praying for. And so whether that's a removal of cancer that would cause you to look more like Jesus, or to live with cancer for 20 years and die because of cancer, which will cause you to look like Jesus, only God knows. The point is he's praying according to the will of God so that you would become conformed to the image of his son. And that's what, why the Lord gave that flat or that thorn, whatever it was, to Paul to make him rely on Jesus Christ more, on his power and not on his own strength. Friends, God is making us more like Jesus. And that's why we're, we're crying out, verse 23, right? We're looking forward to that time when we will be forever removed from this flesh, from the remains of sin, and will be made fully and finally and perfectly in the image of Jesus Christ. Christian, the spirit turns your weak prayers into powerful petitions that are always answered because they, unlike our prayers, are always aligned with the will of God. Be encouraged, be hopeful, and trust the Lord. He knows what he's doing. Father, we want to thank you for this time in your word. We want to thank you for the assurance that we have that the Spirit is praying on our behalf and what he's praying is answered and that we can, Lord, have this hope that whatever we're going through in this life, you, you use it to answer the prayers of the Spirit and that one day you will ultimately draw our life to an end where we will be translated into glory and we'll be like Christ. I pray, help us not to lose heart. Help us to pray. Help us to spend a lot of time on our knees crying out to you, but to know that you always accomplish your purpose in the lives of those whom you love. We thank you for this assurance. Amen.